Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Have you ever found yourself doing the right thing for the wrong reason? Well, this week on Southcrest Live with Dr. David Wilson, we explore that very problem as we continue another installment from our Sermon on the Mount series. Matthew 6 begins with a bold statement, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. What's the motive for such an act? And if this is the wrong motive for doing the right thing, then what's the right motive? Turn your Bible to Matthew 6, 1 through 4, as we discover the answer in When Right is Wrong, from Pastor David Wilson. I like that song, don't you? I never feel like I need to preach after we sing that song, but I'm going to. What a day that will be. Ever thought about what it's going to be like when you see Jesus for the first time? Because none of us have ever seen him. We've seen what some artist depicts him to look like, but I just got to believe he's going to look better than that. But when we see him face to face, we're going to be so thankful we're there. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I would like to congratulate you for surviving Matthew chapter 5. Last several weeks have been some tough, tough truth. And now it's a continuation of the Sermon on the Mount. Look what Jesus says in verse 1 of chapter 6. Take heed or beware that you do not do your charitable deeds. Now, I'm reading out of New King James. If you have a King James, it says give alms. If you have another translation, it may say that you do your righteousness, your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Let's pray. Lord, We want to honor you with our lives. We pray that you would show us our motives, that you would help us to live in such a way that people would honor you and not give us the accolades. Lord, we pray you'll speak to our hearts, show us the areas of our life that need to be confessed and made right with you today. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Things are not always what they appear to be. An old man was out walking in the park one day with his ugly dog. He wasn't bothering anybody, sat down on a bench, was just sitting there, his dog next to his feet. Had been there a little while when a younger man, kind of a mean-looking younger man, and his bulldog with the spikes around his collar came walking up and 
Incidentally, the bulldog's name was Spike. And he, he looked at this old man, began to taunt him a little bit, and he said, Mr., you got an ugly dog. And man, the old man didn't say anything. He just said, Spike, and pointed at that ugly dog. And, and, and the old man said, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Well, that made the younger man even more mad. And so he said, Spike, get him. Spike jumped on that dog, and it was almost like a cartoon. You can see him whirling around, and the dogs are barking, dogs running in a circle, dust flying. And when the dust began to settle, Spike not only was defeated, but he was in several pieces. The younger man looked at the old man, was humbled, and said, what kind of dog is that? The old man said, well, before I cut his tail off and painted him brown, he was an alligator. <laughs> Things are not always what they appear to be. Did you know that can happen in church? We can appear to look righteous and appear to look religious and not really be. And Jesus began to expose that to the religious leaders. In fact, let me remind you where we are in the Sermon on the Mount. He begins by talking about following God, how you've come in poor in spirit. You don't offer God anything to come to him. He takes you, gives you forgiveness, gives you salvation. He does it all. And then as a result of that, you become the light and the salt of the earth. He uses a couple of metaphors there that says when you follow Christ, you're going to stand out. I mean, your life is going to be an example of him, and your life is going to be different. People may notice that we do stand for righteousness. We are the light in the dark world to share the gospel. He then goes on to show the internal inner moral righteousness, our hearts. And he uses six illustrations that I was um, kidding with you a moment ago about surviving. And those illustrations of murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, revenge, and love. He said, your heart, you may look religious, but your heart can be far from God. And now in chapter six, at least the first 18 verses, he begins to talk about outer righteousness, how it's shown before other people. And he picks three religious activities, giving, praying, and fasting. Now, they would have been very familiar with this, the people who were listening to Jesus, because that was one of the things they all knew to do. And the first one, giving, has to do with our religious acts toward other people. Praying has to do with our religious acts toward God. And then fasting has to do with our religion as it acts in relation to ourselves. And today I'm going to talk about the first one and the next Sunday, the next two. And then we're going to look at prayer. We're going to look at the model prayer that Jesus gave. And we're going to spend a few weeks there talking about praying. But today we're going to look at how you can do the right thing and still be wrong. And so Jesus mentions this. He begins by mentioning the right direction, but the wrong motive. In verse 1, the introductory statement to the whole section here, it introduces it, take heed or beware. It means to hold on to this, pay attention to it, especially in the sense of being guard, being on guard. You need to remember this. You ever had your parents tell you that? Now, you remember what I say before you go somewhere. Jesus is basically saying that. You need to remember this. Take heed to this. 
that you not be seen by men. Now, it's interesting, the word to be seen is the word theaomai. We, one of the words we get out of this root word is theater. And you know what the theater is when people act out a play. He's saying, don't let your righteousness be theatrical righteousness. Don't just practice a form of righteousness. Don't, don't just be a play. Let it be real. The righteousness performed by the religious leaders was done to impress people. Now, I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm assuming that most of you came today to honor the Lord. You, you came because you wanted to encounter him. You, you wanted to have a word from him, to be encouraged. And my goodness, when you hear music like that, you're encouraged. And, and, but, but there may be some of you who came today just to be seen. I've I got to go so people will know I'm on the Lord's side. I, I want to go today so people will know that I'm religious. I don't really believe many of you came that, that way. I believe you came for the right reason. But I've read of a, of, uh, an account of an Eastern ascetic mystic man who lived in one of the cities in the Middle East. And he would always cover himself with ashes and sit out on the prominent street corner in order to look destitute and humble. And if a tourist came by to take his picture, many times he would rearrange the ashes on his face to make him look more destitute and humble. Well, a lot of times religious activity is nothing more than moving the ashes around on ourselves to make us look more religious so that other people might know that we are religious. Now, some people would say, well, now, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say in chapter 5, which is in chapter 5, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven? And now he's saying, you do your deeds in secret so nobody will see it? Is this a contradiction? No. The first one talks about your being willing to live for Jesus in a world of darkness. Doesn't mean that you're... Um, you know, mean about it, but you're, you're, when, when Jesus changes your heart, it changes the way you live. And when you live differently from the world, people will notice. You're not living that way so that people will notice. You're living that way because Jesus has changed your heart and life, and now you don't go where you used to go and do some of the things you used to do, and people began to notice that, and they're going to say, what's different about you? And you say, Jesus has changed my life, and they glorify God. It wasn't joining the church that changed your life. It was Jesus that changed it. Now here, what he's saying is, because you serve the Lord, because you honor him, there are going to be some things that you are going to do, but make sure you're doing that for one reason, and that is to honor the Lord and not just so other people will see it. So Jesus' point is the same. Both times they glorify God. Does that make sense? It's going to be another one of those days. You're just going to sit there and breathe hard. You won't ever say anything. That's all right. Jesus is saying you can head the right direction. You can do deeds the right direction, but you can have the wrong motive. There are a lot of people in churches today who've got the wrong motive. Well, we can also do the right deed with the, in the wrong manner. 
Look at verse two. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed. Now you'll notice the Pharisees knew what to do. They knew the law. Listen to one of the laws in Deuteronomy 15, 11. For the poor will never cease from the land. They'll always be with you. Therefore, I command you saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. Pharisees knew the law. They knew they were supposed to give. And so with that in mind, I notice a couple of things about this. First of all, they were involved in what I, I call a dutiful practice. They knew they needed to do it. Jesus didn't start by saying, if you do a charitable deed, he said, when you do it. Everyone was required to do it. They did not have the same kind of a, a governmental system that we have today. And so a lot of the charitable giving and needs being met was done through the people of God, the religious people through the, through the land. And they were required to give. Now, the charitable deeds, the word alms or charitable deeds or righteousness here came to be used primarily of giving money and food and clothing to the poor. And Jesus is saying, when you do this, he didn't say if you do it, when you, it was their duty. Let me ask you something. As a child of God, do you think God expects us to give? Yeah. I mean, he set the example. In fact, the very nature of God is to give for God so loved the world that he gave. So we're, we're supposed to give in a lot of different ways. But the Pharisees, they gave, they gave out a duty, but they did it for the wrong reason. They did it in the wrong manner. In fact, Jesus described them in John chapter 12, verse 43, when he said, they loved praise from men more than praise from God. And he took a whole chapter in Matthew 23 and described the Pharisees. Listen to part of it. Jesus says this about them. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear extra long tassels on their robes, and how they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the most prominent seats in the synagogue. They enjoy the attention they get on the streets, and they enjoy being called rabbi. Matthew 23, 5 through 7, I read that out of the New Living Translation. Jesus taught a whole chapter about the showy righteousness of the religious leaders. You see, our religion can get showy. He used a couple examples in Matthew 23. If you have a, a different translation, it may say they make their phylacteries broad. Now, what in the world was a phylactery? Not a factory, a phylactery. They probably got this out of Deuteronomy where God says that his commandments, in fact, it's in Deuteronomy 6, 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlet between your eyes. A little leather pouch or a little leather box that had scripture in it that sometimes they would put around their head and in front of their, between their eyes on their forehead or they would put it on their arms during times of prayer to be reminded of God's commands. Only the Pharisees took it a step further. They made theirs extra large. <laughs> made them look more spiritual. He said they also, 
They also made their tassels big or bigger. Uh, they, They enlarged the borders of their garments. The Old Testament law commanded that the men of Israel would put tassels on the corners of their robe and, and it was simply to remind them of God's commandments. In fact, Numbers 15.39 says that you may look upon them and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. Pharisees, they put their tassels on extra large, blinging, drawing attention, ostentatious. They were making them in such a way that people know as man. He must really be spiritual. They were there to impress other people. Let me, let me put it this way. I see most of you brought a Bible, which I'm glad you did. But did anybody in here bring a family Bible with them today? I mean, after all, if you really wanted to look spiritual, bring the family Bible in so everybody will know, look at me. They're either going to know that or you can't see very well and you've got to have that giant print. But the fact is, we do stuff sometimes to make people notice. And that's what they were doing. They were, they were going overboard for their showy righteousness. It was righteousness on parade, basically. They would give to the poor, but it was a big show. In fact, you'll see the first time the word hypocrite is used in the Gospel of Matthew right here in verse 2 when Jesus calls them hypocrites. Now, a hypocrite in those days, it was a Greek actor who wore a mask that was portrayed in an exaggerated way the role that they was being dramatized. It came to mean anyone who pretended to be what he was not. Hollywood is full of hypocrites. And they're not being critical, they're full of actors. Now, hypocrite to us has a negative connotation because it means you try to be something or you act like you're something that you're really not. There are a lot of people in church like that. Jesse James, you ever heard of Jesse James? Famous. Killed a fellow in a bank robbery and shortly after was baptized in the Kearney Baptist Church. He killed another man, a bank cashier, and joined the church choir and taught him singing. Jerry, you need to check out all your choir members to see <laughs> what kind of people they are. <laughs> he loved Sundays, Jesse did, but he couldn't always show up because two Sundays he robbed trains. Now you say, well, hypocrites, they're everywhere. One guy put it this way, a hypocrite is someone who is not himself on Sunday. That'll take you till lunchtime to understand that. (laughs) I also like this statement, if hypocrites are keeping you from church and God, then they are closer to God than you are. If they're between you, let me just, let's just get that. We're all hypocrites. All of us are, aren't we? Just forgiven ones. Saved ones, forgiven ones. There's not anybody in here that's perfect. No one in here can do everything all the time the right way. But they took it to an extreme. The giving of alms, in fact, to them 
Well, listen to some of their writings, the Jewish apocryphal books. Tobit 12.8, it is better to give to charity than to lay up gold for charity will save a man from death. It will expiate any sin. Expiate, cover sin, are you really? And then the, the wisdom of Sirach, verse um, 30 of, of 330, I guess you would say, as water will quench a flaming fire, so charity will atone for sin. That, many of them believe that the rich could be saved easier because they could give more to charity because it atoned for sin. It's incredible how many people today think if I just go through the, the duties of my church that I'll be right with God. Listen, there are more rituals done than you can imagine. Even in a Baptist church, there is ritual. And Jesus said, when you're about to do this, don't sound a trumpet. Not sure if there really was a trumpet sounded. Some say that there was a trumpet blown from the synagogue occasionally to remind people to give to charitable giving, charitable deeds. Some say Jesus is just using a figure of speech here to not draw attention to yourself when you're about to do a deed of righteousness or a charitable deed. It doesn't really matter. The point is the same, that Jesus is saying righteousness does not have to be performed in front of people. It's not on display. It's not piety on parade or lights, camera, action. It's not showtime. Have you ever thought about what a funny picture that is? Can you imagine during the offering, if you stood up and blew a trumpet and then put money in the offering plate? You don't think Jesus didn't have a sense of humor? Do you think Jesus ever laughed? Sure he did. Some of y'all don't think he does because you never laugh. But Jesus laughed. Jesus had a his sense of humor. Jesus used illustrations like this to say, don't, don't go blowing a trumpet, which would have been a shofar, by the way. It wouldn't have been like these trumpets here. Don't go blowing a shofar when you're about to do something for the Lord. So he had a good sense of humor. He said, and the reason they're doing this is they will get glory from men in verse 2. I read of an old fellow on his deathbed who knew he was dying. He was, he was putting together his will. So he had an attorney there. And he said to the attorney, to each of my employees who have been with me 20 years or more, I bequeath the sum of $100,000. And the lawyer said, man, that is incredible. That's very generous. And the man said, not really. None of them have been with me over a year, but it'll look good in the papers. <laughs> you see, we, we do stuff that we don't really mean or we're not going to fool, but it looks good. The religious leaders were doing that. Not only were they doing their duty, but there was also a deceitful performance here. Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Now, the word assuredly is, is the authority and a strong assertion. I say to you, don't forget this. Did you ever have your parents tell you that when you were about to leave home? Now, you listen, don't you forget this. That's what he's saying here. Don't forget this. 
Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. And, and the hornblowers get, get what they're after. They want the praise of men. They're going to get that. To be honored by men. The word full reward was an expression used of completing a commercial transaction. Nothing else was owed. It was paid in full. Jesus said, if you do things just for the praise of man, you got what you wanted. That's all you're going to get. That's pretty blunt, isn't it? People, we still have a, we have a tendency to do that today. Dallas Willard, <laughs> I love, he was a philosopher, a Christian writer. He, he died several years ago, but one of, the, one of the things I read by what he said, he said he wonders why it's easier to get buildings built than maintenance endowed. In other words, it's easier to get people to give to buildings than it is to give to maintaining the buildings. He said, perhaps no one wants their name on a mop. <laughs> we want to do things where we get noticed. When we give for show, what kind of reward can we expect? See, what Jesus is saying is generosity alone is not enough. He's concerned about the hidden thoughts of the heart. Don't deceive by being generous when your heart is not in it. A heart that gives to be seen really isn't generous in the eyes of God. Selfishness can lead to doing great things in the name of Christ, but really what we're doing is exalting ourselves. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book about the Sermon on the Mount, and in it he says this, ultimately our only reason for pleasing men around us is that we may please ourselves. Our real desire is not to please others as such. We want to please them because we know that if we do, they will think better of us. In other words, we're pleasing ourselves and are merely concerned about self-gratification. We can go the right direction with the wrong motive. We can do the right deed with the wrong manner. But then Jesus mentions the right dedication and the worthy method of giving. Don't let your left hand know what the right hand is doing. Again, an assumption that most people are right-handed. If you're left-handed, this is not a slight against you. Like I said last week, we know that you're in your right mind. But most people were right-handed. And so, when they did deeds... They would use their right hand most of the time. And many times you could do things and not even need your left hand to help do it. And the idea here is that when we're doing something, there's a, there's a place for spontaneity, a place for, to be led by the Spirit to do it. And sometimes it's so easily done that no one else sees it. Giving to others and helping other people is a normal activity for a believer. But it doesn't have to be done in such a way that you're drawing attention to yourself by doing it. 
Now, sometimes they take verse 3 and mean it that all works are to be done in secret. I should never let anybody know I'm a Christian. I should do everything secretly. But the problem is you can't. Because if you stand for Jesus and live for Christ, you're going to be light in a world of darkness. You're going to be salt in a world of decay. And people are going to notice, but they're going to give glory to God. So verse 3 doesn't mean that every last thing you do has to be done in secret. Again, it has to do with the motive behind it. Sometimes people are going to notice what you're doing. Sometimes they're not going to notice what you do. It's amazing how much is done in the church and people never get thanked for it. Nobody notices what they do. Nobody notices that that coffee was made when you came in and got it. You've got some and you're mad if it's not there. Rooms are clean, set up. Somebody was at the door to greet you. Do you ever thank them? Thank you for being here. Thank you for your smile. No, they're not doing it for your, your benefit, not for their benefit. They're doing it because they serve the Lord. They, they're doing it. When's the last time you thanked a teacher, a Sunday school teacher, for preparing and teaching you. You know, you probably just got up and walked out. They didn't do it to be thanked by you. They did it because they were committed to the Lord and teaching. Folks, I am so thankful for all of the thankless people. (laughs) That's not the way to put it. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for all the people who serve the Lord here and give not to be seen by others, but they do it completely out of a commitment and love for Jesus. Amen. This church wouldn't exist without those people. But you know who notices? God notices. He never misses it. Never misses a time. You can't do it without him seeing you. You can't fulfill your commitment without him seeing you. The question is not so much what the hand is doing, but the heart, what the heart is thinking while the hand is doing it. That's what he's saying here. There are principles from scripture for us to give and to serve in a non-hypocritical way. Let me quickly share some of them with you. First of all, it comes from sincerity of heart. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. It's a heart issue. 
2 Corinthians 8, 5, Paul was describing the believers in Macedonia who had given to the suffering Christians in Judea. And he's saying that not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. First, we give ourselves to the Lord. I saw a picture one time. It's a cartoon in the baptistry. Showed a man being put under. He was under the water. Everything was under the water except for his hand and holding his wallet out of the water. Now listen, we give because God gave first. I give because first of all, the stuff I have isn't mine. It's not, it's not yours either. There are a lot of funeral homes in this town. I I challenge you to go to any of them on any given day when they have a funeral. You don't have to know who's in there. Just go in there. You will never, ever see a rental trailer behind the hearse full of their stuff. It's not yours. I agree with the lady who said, I thank God it's not mine. I thank God I can't take it with me because it's the only way I'll ever get rid of all of it. (laughs) And the older I get, the more I got to get rid of. Listen, your life is short. You've been loaned some things. You first give your heart to the Lord. Now, those knuckleheads on television, those televangelists, not all of them, some of them actually teach the truth. Very few of them teach the truth. But they're going to use this verse to say, you know what? If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. So you give to my ministry, and I promise you that it'll, re- it'll come back to you a thousandfold. Or you'll be out of debt in a month or two months or whatever. Hmm. It's hard for me to give for the right reason when I hear that. Because I want to tell you, I'm not a financial guru, but if I can invest something, get a thousand fold back on it, I'm going to invest in it. I'm not that stupid. But see, my heart's not in the right place. I'm trying to get something back. I'm not, this isn't let's make a deal with God. God's already given you the deal. God's already given you what you have. God said, honor me with what you have. And when you give to others, let the motives be pure in your heart. First, give yourself to the Lord. And then you're going to realize all this belongs to him. And Lord, if you want me to give it away, if you want me to help someone, then you lead me to do it. That's a non-hypocritical way. When you look at the scripture giving, whether it's to the church or to the kingdom of God or to other people, it's also sacrificial. Listen to 2 Samuel 2, 24, 24. The king, this is David, King David, uh, this man by the name of uh, Aranua, I think is how you say his name, wanted to give him this land and say, here, you can have this land and use it for God and offer sacrifices. I'll give you cattle and all that. And what did David say? He said, no, I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. You ever give because you're going to lose it anyway? 
That's how I give to the IRS. I don't like it, do you? It's sacrificial too. They're going to take it. Maybe I'd give it a little more or less grudgingly if they used it a little better. Finally, I got an amen today. <laughs> Sacrificially, Lord, I want to give in such a way that I have to depend on you. I want to give generously. I want to give sacrificially. I want to give something that costs me something. That means different amounts to different people because we all have different economic areas and status. We do. So it means different things to us, but to be sacrificial. It also means to be selfless. You see, responsibility for giving has no relationship to how much you have. I want to say that again. Responsibility for giving has no relationship to how much a person has. If you're not generous when you have a little, you're not going to be generous when you have a lot. You're not. It's a heart issue. Funny, I read a lady by the name of Clara Null. She wrote this. For years, we lived in a small town with one bank and three churches. Early one Monday morning, the bank called all three churches with the same request. Could you bring in Sunday's offering right now? We are out of $1 bills. <laughs> one U.S. senator asked an influential pastor, what can the government do to help the church? The pastor said, quit printing $1 bills. In all seriousness, it's between you and the Lord what's given, given. But do we give not only to the Lord's work, but do we give selflessly? I am so thankful to be part of a church where there are so many selfless, not selfish, selfless people. We are part of a church where long before we ever came on the scene, selfless people gave. And here we are. And now we give selflessly to those who aren't here yet or for those who aren't here yet, whether it's through the regular offerings and missions and ministries, whether it's to the buildings, whether it's to help a brother and sister in need that we see in need and we have the opportunity to do so and we do so without bringing any attention to ourselves. Secrecy. Just, you know, one of the things we do, we don't do is we don't publish what people give. I don't want to know what people give. I only am responsible for what I have and what I give to the Lord's work and what he's blessed us with. I say, Lord, it's, between, it's all between them. I don't want to know. But secrecy, secrecy is not an excuse to be selfish. Just because people don't know doesn't mean you say, well, nobody knows. God knows. Giving is also spiritual. Material giving correlates to spiritual blessings. Now listen carefully. I don't give to get a spiritual blessing. I, 
I give because I'm committed to the Lord. God, on the other hand, will bless us as we do. In fact, in Luke chapter 16, he says, if the Lord can't trust you with mundane things like money and possessions, he's not going to trust you with larger things. I don't know what all that would mean, but more responsibility. Listen, the easiest thing to do is to honor the Lord with what he's given us. It's a spiritual thing. Giving demonstrates love. You never have really lived until you've done something for someone or the Lord's work or someone that can never repay you. And finally, to give systematically to the Lord's work. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. You know, there are things that we just systematically do. I continue to honor the Lord. Lord, I, I will. Whether it's to help other people or to help my church, to help furnish the facilities that we have, God, thank you for the opportunity. We don't compare gifts. We compare our commitment. No, we don't compare, but God looks at our heart and says, do you, are you just giving every now and then? God doesn't want us to give grudgingly. Can you imagine somebody that's very dear to you, that you love dearly, your wife, your husband, your children, whatever, and they're having a birthday, and so you buy them a gift. You don't really, you, you, don't, you don't buy them a gift and say, here, here, it's your birthday. I didn't really want to buy this, but I had to. It's your birthday. I don't want anybody to think bad of me, so I'm going to give to you. Don't you know they would be blessed to get that? <laughs> well, here, God, I'm going to give this to you because you, you expect me to, and I, I don't want anybody else down there to think I don't give anything, and, and so I hear. I'm sure God's really impressed, <laughs> especially when he already owns it. You ever taken children to McDonald's? Let's take them to McDonald's. Let's buy them some French fries. Shouldn't have started talking about food. Now you've left me. <laughs> Let's buy them some French fries. Give it to that four-year-old, three-year-old. Sit down across from them. Reach over and take one of those French fries. These are mine. You went up there and bought them. You provided them. Well, that's the way God is, if you think about it. God's given you everything you have. Allowed you to have it. And we're not here very long. And one thing I want you to notice in closing, it says, the Father who sees you in secret will himself reward you. I don't know what the rewards are going to be. Televangelists will tell you it'll be more money. It doesn't say that. You ever thought about the way God's blessed you? You're sitting in a country where you have the freedom to join together, we don't have to worry about somebody coming in here against the law and keeping us from worship. 
God has given you forgiveness, salvation. God has given you eternal life. And when you stand before God one day, and all of us are going to, Hebrews 9, 27 says, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. You're going to stand before God. Guess what? If you know Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. (laughs) You can't put a price on that. Only Jesus did. He put a price on it. He paid with his life and rose again. You know where you're going when you die. You know who's on your side? The God of angel armies. We ought to sing about that every now and then, don't you think? Do you think God's blessed you? Then whatever you do in your deeds, you do it to bring glory to him, not to be seen by other people. And the only way you can do this is when you have a heart change. And the only one who can cleanse you of your sin and change your heart is Jesus. Religion will not do it. You can go through all of the rituals you want to. You can light all the candles. You can do all the prayers. You can do all the attendance. You can do all you want. It'll never change your heart. Only Jesus can do that. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for those today who need to give their life to Jesus and stop being religious. Forgive us, Lord, for all the times we've done things for a pat on the back. We would be nothing without you, Lord. And I pray for those today who need Jesus as their Savior. They would turn from their sin come to you in repentance and that they would offer their life by faith to you. Lord Jesus, we pray you'd save people today. Lord, we're looking for some more sinners to be a part of this fellowship. Just forgiven ones. Pray you'd bring people to be a part of this church if that's where you want them. Pray you give people the courage to be baptized like these that were baptized this morning. So, Lord, during this time, we pray that nothing would hinder people responding to you in the next couple of minutes. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Pastor David. We found in this passage from Matthew 6 that Jesus condemned the self-glorifying actions of the Pharisees. As Christians, how should we perform our dutiful service to the Lord? Well, Jesus taught us to do our good deeds with a sincere heart, in a selfless and sacrificial manner, with a spiritual, not worldly mindset, and to do so in a consistent, systematic fashion. These works are the type that bring glory to God, not self. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services 
or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.